I'm just going to get into the, the part this morning about the Jesus name element. They called it the new issue back then when it came, came, to, came to print. I'm going to tell you how it did, why it did, and so forth through the scripture on it. If you look around overhead here, this is the, this is the chart that we've been using here to uh, show you how that the church fell away. We talked, we actually use another chart to show this, but how that from the apostolic church, how that many false doctrines and beliefs were added or they took away from the truth and added other things. For instance, the Trinity was put in place of one God. And all the Old Testament teaches one God. Jesus came as that one God. And later on uh, in Christianity in 325 AD, they adopted the Trinity, uh, believing there's three persons in one God, and uh, actually refuted, refuted the Old Testament view of it. Um, believe of purgatory and Mariology, the worship of Mary, and, and, uh, and, and confessions, mass, indulgences, and so forth, all this, the celibacy of the ministry, the infallibility of the papal, uh, you know, the Pope, and so forth. And all of these things fell away until they came into the dark ages. People were without a Bible, and uh, they were very much living in sin and didn't even realize they were. And then Martin Luther began to come out of it. Martin Luther began to teach that you're saved by faith, not by works, which did away from that part of the uh, indulgences where they had to buy things in order to get to heaven and so forth. And uh, <clears throat> later on, Calvin, John Calvin, uh, came along with the, not too much long after, the Presbyterian belief, and he was the founder of the Presbyterian Church, uh, where in which they believed that no statue should be in the building, and also that uh, that communion was for this was was not transubstantiation. In other words, communion was for a was a memorial. We did it in remembrance of him, like the Bible says. And not that we act, that they actually turned the body of the blood of Jesus, uh, body, the body of Jesus into the bread into the body of Jesus and the blood, uh, the wine juice into the actual blood of Jesus. See, the Catholic Church taught that the priest did that. The Lutheran Church, they kept that, but they said that it was the, it was Christ that did that. The Presbyterian says nobody does it. It's just a memorial under the right there. And of course, the Bible even declares that and so forth. Uh, I might just add here, the, uh, the Presbyterian faith, uh, this is interesting, the Presbyterian faith came to America in, uh, in 1689, 1689, and that was a man by the name of uh, Francis uh, McKinney, Francis McKinney, who came to Virginia. Uh, Brother McKinney, Bob McKinney, in our church is the 16th generation direct descendant of this Francis McKinney, and so uh, Bob, he, he got some, uh, you got some, some, you got some fame back there in your background, amen. So, uh, but uh, Bob is direct descendant, 16th generation he is, and his children, of course, 17th generation, uh, from this Francis uh, McKinney who came to America and brought with that. Uh, this is only what this is only what uh, 40 years or 39 years after the landing of the Mayflower and the Plymouth Rock. So you can see how early in history it was. So anyhow, he came to America and he brought the belief of the Presbyterian faith, which at that time 
were probably the most, one of the most advanced beliefs and religions going on. And so, uh, and they have a congregation which the Baptists brought in immersion in water, you know, baptizing the water. Uh, congregation which brought in the separation of church and state that they are not tied together like they were under Catholicism. And they still are that way, mostly under Catholicism. And then, of course, the Methodists came along with the belief of the word Methodist means holiness. And they brought in a holiness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And they began to preach holiness. And every time these things happened, there was revival. Every time this happened, people began to get closer to God. And so little by little, as they began to get closer to God, and sometimes the mainstream would just stay in the element they were in and become cold in the Lord again. And then the, the ones who were looking for more truth, they would find something that was coming from God, some, some new knowledge. And I used that scripture last week, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It comes from uh, sometimes Isaiah uh, 28, 10, I believe it is. Isaiah 28, 10. Line upon line, here a little, there a little. Let the Lord speak to his people. So that he began to add little by little to each one of these uh, denomination groups and so forth. Uh, I have been told by Methodist preachers, old preachers when I was a young man, that they said that when we were in our younger days in the Methodist movement, they said that we were just like you Pentecostals. I've had older ministers say, especially up in Indiana, I had a, a Methodist preacher up there that was an old, older guy and I was just, my wife and I were very young, I think our daughter was a baby at the time and everything, and uh, he told he told us as Pentecostal preachers, he said, uh, he said, uh, we old Methodists used to shout like you people did. He said, we worshiped God, we clapped our hands, we danced in the spirit and everything. Well, you go to the Methodist church today and you don't find that. Somewhere or another, they sort of toned it down, you know, and this is what happens in Christianity. All along the, the way, they have toned it down to become more sophisticated, acceptable by the world and so forth. But uh, the people who were still hungry for God, they were looking and searching more for what God had for them. I just want to throw that in for what it's worth. Christian uh, faith, of course, was that baptism was for the remission of sins and not as an added thing for an added work or something, but it was actually necessary to be saved. And then, of course, the Holy Ghost began to be poured out in 1900. We've talked extensively for the last two, uh, two services on this and how that it began in the, in the, uh, in Topeka, Kansas, when Charles Parham went there to start a Bible school, and, and uh, he had his students to pray and ask God, is Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, where it talks about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues, is that for us today? Because by this time, they had assumed that that was not for us today. However, missionaries from foreign fields would report that they saw people speaking in tongues when they got something, something happened to them on the foreign field as they were praying. You know, people sometime in, in more desperate situations, they would pray longer and harder and God began to do a work there. But so these missionaries would say, I don't know what it, whether it's true or not. Uh, others, even in America, that would happen. In Wales, England, they had this big outbreak of the move of God. And some of those people also were baptized see the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, but it was like, what happened to them? I don't know. Well, they, some, maybe some gift was in operation that we didn't know about or something, but it was always just sort of passed off. 
And uh, Wells, I told you about how the, the, the news, you know, when the people in Wells, the coal miners all started getting saved, they didn't curse anymore and the news wouldn't obey them because the news were used for cursing type language. And they had to let those news, get them out to pasture. So you guys can just run the pasture and, 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 and eat on grass all the rest of your life. You don't have to work anymore. And then to bring in new news that could understand regular English, you know, so forth. This was, this was true. It's in history. And uh, so it shows you how the power of God. You know, God's presence always brings good, doesn't it? Even the mules have benefited from it. Praise God. Amen. They got to go, uh, they got to go out to pasture and said, no more hard work than down in the coal mine. So uh, now the, the Trinity Pentecostals, or they were just Pentecostals back then. There was no, everybody was Trinity. And so this happened. The move of God went to them from, from uh, Topeka, Kansas, down into Houston, Texas. And when it went to another place, that was where it was emphasized. It was still spreading. So from Topeka, Kansas, it was still spreading across that mid Midwestern area, the mountain areas and so forth. When it went to Houston, Texas, that's where it just sort of really exploded and flourished there. And at one time, they estimated that around Houston there and around that up Texas and that East Texas area, uh, they had uh, something like 25,000 Pentecostals there. These people were coming out of every denomination and they were receiving the Holy Ghost and they came for the purpose of getting the Holy Ghost. What do we have to do? Pray. How do we pray? We'll help you pray. We'll pray with you, you know, and they would pray with them and everything. And so these people received the Holy Ghost. I told you about the man, Howard Goss, who uh, was filled with the Holy Ghost, could not speak in English for seven days. And he tried to, I knew Howard Goss personally myself. He was an older man when I was a very young man. And I met him and knew him and I heard him tell his testimony and everything. And everybody knew this about Howard Goss. But anyhow, he, he, he could not speak in tongues. He, they put him up to preach one day and he got up to preach and he preached in tongues and everybody shouted in rejoice and everything. And he preached in tongues for half an hour and then sat down, you know. He couldn't speak English and everything. It was just like it was, the spirit was on him so powerfully. And, uh, and so forth. Uh, and so all of these people begin to receive the many power of the Lord. But a man by the name of Seymour, a black man, had one eye, one-eyed guy. A very humble, very humble man who came from Los Angeles. Los Angeles came there and heard the word. And then was invited to Los Angeles. I should not say he came from, I'm sorry, he was not from Los Angeles, he was from Houston. But he was invited to go to Los Angeles and there to speak at a church. And he spoke... On the first morning, he spoke on uh, the power of the Holy Ghost, and whenever he did, they locked the doors that night. <laughs> that, so he had no place to preach. So anyhow, one preacher says, "Well, you can. We, we'll find a place for you." So he said, "We'll we'll do something. We'll help you out. We won't leave you deserted." So they shopped around and found a little mission around Los Angeles. He said, "Yeah, we'll have him come preach for us." So he went there and he began to preach services there, and lo and behold, people started getting the Holy Ghost. And the church started growing, and the church people started, people started coming, you know, and they wanted to know more about it. And the pastor of that little mission, he got the Holy Ghost, and, and it just started happening, and everything. They get, they got so big. Finally, they said, "We got to find another building. This won't even hold it." So they found a, a place on Azusa Street, Azusa Street, and that was became a famous landmark for the Pentecostal movement. And on in Azusa Street, Azusa Street was next to a, a building, some kind of a a sh uh, part of a shipyard, but it was next to a uh, lumber factory, lum lumber company, 
And the other side of it was uh, the boundary, I think it was. It was an industrial area. So they could just, they could worship and praise God, be as loud as they wanted to be and go as long as they wanted to and nobody cared, you know. <laughs> There's all kind of noises going all, all around them all day long and nobody cared any need because nobody lived around there. And so they had church, you know, starting in, two, uh, in, in 1906 to 1909, they went for three years every night having church, every day and every night. They had church all day and they had church in the evening as well. So I'm just saying, saying here that in the course of that, people started getting the Holy Ghost. People came from all over Los Angeles. Then they started coming from all over the West Coast of America. Then they started coming from other cities in America. In the meantime, the gospel was still spreading in the south out of Houston, Texas. It was still going through the Midwest out of Topeka, Kansas. And now Azusa Street, uh, had, and people started going to Azusa Street to say, let's go out there and find out what's going on. These were pastors and preachers and missionaries who would come back to the state and they said we want to find out some of them said this is not for us you know others said this is what i've been looking for you see and so people came to get, get the holy ghost that, uh, that preacher uh, durham from chicago had a mission there uh, and he went out there and received the holy ghost in 2000 uh, 19, i want to say 2000, 2008 and uh, then he went back and started preaching in chicago there and from Chicago, it spread all over the Midwest. Went to, went to Detroit, went to the Indianapolis, went, for, went to New York from, from Chicago. People who would get the baptism, and then they would take it back to where they were, or they would simply travel to where they were, to that area, and then they would start preaching. And people just got a little storefront and started preaching in the storefront, but they'd preach this truth. And people got hungry for God, and they received it. One of the things that happened there was somebody had come there from Indianapolis and they had gone back to Indianapolis and started preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, there's a, there's a guy there in, uh, in that area there that was, uh, uh, he was a, a black brother, G.T. Uh, Haywood. G.T. Haywood was, uh, was a very simple guy and he worked in a foundry and God called him to preach, and he didn't really want to preach. He said, I don't know how to preach, and God called him, but he was extremely talented. G.T.A. would, you know, he, he was an artist. He could paint beautifully. He was a songwriter, right? He wrote many songs. Many of the songs in our hymn books were written by him, and uh, whenever he got into the Word of God, he was a great student, had great understanding, a great Bible teacher, and became a great Bible teacher for his day. And he built that church in Indianapolis called Christ Temple. It's one of the largest churches. And even, even in his day, way back there, they had over 1,000 members in that church. And I'm just saying here that he became well-known. He was later the head of the PAW, which is the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, which was an apostolic movement, still is. And we have people in this church here who have been in the PAW before themselves. And uh, Brother Suttles, I think Brother Suttles, I think you were in the PAW. And uh, Brother, Brother Sister Suttles, and there was some of our ministers, a couple of our ministers here was in the PAW. But great organization, it's sort of a sister organization of UTC. There was no UTC back then. It was, they developed eventually, they developed the, the, the uh, PCI, Pentecostal Church Incorporated, and then they, the PAFJC, Pentecostal Assemblies of Jesus Christ in the South. That was in the South, one was in the Midwest. So all of these things begin to develop, you know, and everything, they begin to, you know, preach the word. The thing that Durham came up with in, in Chicago was that 
he realized that tongues was the evidence of the Holy Ghost. He said, you don't really have the Holy Ghost till you have you speak in other tongues. So he went out back out to Los Angeles and began to preach it. They said, no, 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 the tongues was just one of the evidences. He said, no, it is the evidence, uh, the evidence. Search the Bible, search the scriptures. Everywhere they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in other tongues. And, uh, and so anyhow, that became uh, sort of a little bone of contention a little bit with him. And along about that time, along about that time, the gospel went out, was spreading everywhere. They had a camp meeting in 1913. Listen closely to this. They called it a worldwide camp meeting for the Pentecostals in Los Angeles. And they all gathered there in Los Angeles to have this Pentecostal meeting. And in one of the, and in that service, in that service, uh, there was a, a guy there that by the, by the name of Andrew Urshan. And also there's a, another fellow there named Frank, uh, Frank uh, Ewart. Frank Ewart was from, he was a, an Australian. He had come uh, over to America and then he had gotten the Holy Ghost. I think it was up in, up in uh, Portland, Oregon. And then he had come down to Los Angeles and he had been preaching around there and so forth. He's a young guy and he was also a writer. He was also a, a publication printer. He had a little magazine he printed and everything. And so Frank Ewart <coughs> began to, they, Frank Ewart and Andrew Urshan. Andrew Urshan was a Persian. He had come from Persia, that's what today is Iran. He came from Persia. And uh, he'd come over here and he had, uh, he had been a Presbyterian over in Persia. They were not Muslim, they were Persian, they were Presbyterian. And his father was a Presbyterian pastor in Persia in one of the small villages there where they lived in northern, northern uh, uh, Persia. And uh, he'd come to America with some of his friends and what they said they thought they were gonna see in America was the, the pure Christianity, pure Christianity. And they really wanted to experience, they got over here and found out everybody here, you know, a lot of people weren't even Christians, you know, and so forth, and, and they, that was a little disappointment. But they began to live for God and serve God and try to search and find what God had for them. And they, little by little, they stumbled on in, uh, around Chicago, that's where he lived. They came across the Holy Ghost baptism there under uh, Durham and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues. And they began then to have their own mission. They got their own mission, a little Persian mission where they were trying to reach all the people in the Middle East, that is in Chicago, that were from there in the city of Chicago. So he was preaching, so they, they had this little mission thing going, he was ahead of it and so forth. He was also at this camp meeting thing. Now, while they were all at this camp meeting in, in LA in 1913, and all these people were there, uh, there was a man who got up to preach by the name of McIntyre. And McIntyre got up and he said, uh, he said, I, uh, uh, he said, I want to just tell you here, he says that we need to be considering this. He says, uh, I'm going to speak today on the subject here, how the apostles baptized. They did, they did not baptize in the title of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They baptized in Jesus' name. And he said, I want to talk to you about how that this is found all through the scriptures that the early church baptized in Jesus' name. And he had hardly got it out of his mouth. There was a missionary visiting there from China who came from the front row, sprang up on the platform and came to him and took him aside and said, brother, listen, you don't want to get in that issue because this will bring division. This will bring division to this great camp meeting and you don't bring division. He said, no, I don't want to bring division. He was a young evangelist. And so uh, McIntyre said, no, no, I don't want to bring division. So he steps aside and says, 
so he, uh, he, he went on and everything. But the genie was out of the bottle. You understand what I'm saying? Because he had already quoted some scripture like Acts 2.38, Acts 10.48, and so forth and everything. So whenever the camp meeting was all over with, nothing more was said. But Frank Muir, he got us alone, and he started studying that. And he got to looking in the Word, and he said, Dear Lord, this is the way the early church did baptize. Well, he didn't feel any obligation to anybody. He was in Australia and England. I mean, he was in America, you know. And he said, well, you know what, I'm going to start preaching. He said, but I don't know of anybody else that preaches this. He came across another guy that had been at that same meeting. His name was Cook, and Glenn Cook. Glenn Cook and him got together, and Glenn Cook said, yeah, I agree with the same thing. So they baptized each other in Jesus' name, and both of them began to preach, you know. So, uh, you know, Ewart was supposed to preach at a, at a certain big conference there in Los Angeles, and he went and told all the pastors, I'm going to be up front with you. He said, I'm going to preach on Jesus' name baptism, and I believe that's the way to be. They said, well, we don't believe that and everything. But, and he said, I'm going to tell you up front because if you don't want me to, be, if you don't want me to preach, that's okay. I understand. And they said, well, we understand your view. We have a different view. And everything, but we'll be, you know, we'll be very kind to you and everything. But we'd rather you wouldn't preach, you know. And so, anyhow, they they got another Bible teacher in, and so you're left there. But somebody else gave him a place to preach, and next thing you know, he's baptizing people. And here's what they found out: that when they baptized people in Jesus' name, they got the Holy Ghost in the water. See, that wasn't happening before. People were baptizing the titles. And people would, would pray and pray and seek the Holy Ghost, and God would give them the Holy Ghost. But when they started baptizing in Jesus' name, people would get, they would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the water. And this was the amazing thing about it. And so uh, this, uh, this guy, Andrew Urshan, he was, in, uh, he, he was at this same camp meeting, and he had already purposed that when he went back to Chicago, he was going to give up his mission, and he was going back to Persia and take the message back to the people over in Persia. And so Andrew Urshan then made all those plans and everything, got the money to go, made the trip uh, back to Persia, and he went back over there to bring to them the gospel. And needless to say, nobody wanted to hear anything. Nobody wanted to do anything, you know. And then so he just started praying and praying and praying, and next thing you know, somebody came to him and said, you know what? I want to hear what you got to say, and he started praying with him, and they got to praying, and he prayed a buddy through with the Holy Ghost. He got the Holy Ghost. After a while, he prayed some another buddy through, and we, and it's still that was about three of them together, and then they started preaching around that little area there, and they would preach and tell people that they had to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Up until this point, Andrew Urshan knew nothing about Jesus named baptism. He was just simply preaching the Holy Ghost like was what was going on in America. And, uh, and so Frank Ewart now was already turning things around. This guy named G.T. Haywood, uh, he was out there in the preaching, and he heard about it, and he got baptized in Jesus' name. He went back to Los Angeles, I mean back to Indianapolis, and he began to preach Jesus' name baptism and baptized. And one of his friends wrote him a letter and said, watch out for those Jesus' name people because they will turn you around and have you being baptized in Jesus' name. And, uh, and he wrote back and said, you've, uh, you've come too late to tell me. <laughs> I've already been baptized in Jesus' name. 
and I've got the Holy Ghost, and I'm preaching baptism in Jesus' name. And you know what? People are getting the Holy Ghost in the baptistry. People are getting saved, and people are getting healed. So God can't be against it. Praise the Lord. And G.C. Haywood went on. G.C. Haywood wrote some beautiful songs, and he gave them uh, to the uh, Trinity, to the Assemblies. The Assemblies of God was started in 1914. 1914. This is ironic. Uh, they elected a man by the name of Bell, by the name of H.L. Uh, Bell, I believe it is. But the name, it was uh, Ian Bell. Ian Bell, they elected as president. They elected Howard Goss as, as uh, vice president of the Assemblies of God. This is when they first started out. Uh, everybody was, was just Holy Ghost filled people. And then they elected a guy named Flowers to, the, to be the uh, secretary treasurer. Uh, Goss and Bell, when they saw the Jesus name baptism revelation that was beginning to happen, they both became Jesus name preachers. And the Assemblies of God says, uh, wait a minute, where, where are we going with this? Are, are we, we going to be a Jesus name organization or not? Flowers, who was the secretary, he said, I am not going to change. I'm going to stay with my old baptism because that's what most of Christianity is, even though I don't, I know that what the Bible says, I'm going to stay with what the majority of Christianity is. And so he stayed with that. Bell, they got with him and said, are you sure? And everything, they, he got baptized. He said, oh, this is what, this is the truth. And then Bell, in time, changed his mind and said, well, I'm going to stay with the Assemblies of God and I can only stay with them. And they had promised him that they would, they would, uh, they had taken him out of being head of it and they promised they'd put him back as head of the Assemblies of God if he recanted that he had been baptized in Jesus' name. So Bell recanted on that. Goss never did. Goss went oneness. He was, in, he was apostolic. Uh, he was the head of the PAMJC for a while. And later on, when the United Pentecostal Church was established in 1945, uh, he became the first general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, Howard Goss. And everything. Uh, I'm telling you all of that so that you know a little bit about how the, all of this happened. And, but it was not without its persecution, folks, and it never is. Listen, let me say this. When you really want to get close to God, don't think the devil doesn't attack you. He will. He will. The enemy will attack you, but that's okay. He loses, you win, you know. But you want to say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your word. And the word of God will never fail us. It'll never fail us. Praise the Lord. And uh, this, uh, this, is, I, this is very interesting about uh, this, uh, this Russian. Uh, he went back over to Persia there in 1913, and then he preached there and one little town, people started getting saved, and he got a bunch of people together and got them saved and got them filled with the Holy Ghost. Went to another little town and got a bunch of, got a little church started. One of the brothers there, they started, they became the pastor, the overseer of that. And, and in his own church, where his own city, first of all, his father opposed him because he was Presbyterian, but he kept telling his father, Dad, this is real, this is really real. And eventually, uh, his father, of course, got saved, his mother received the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and all these things happened. And this was just, this is like 1913. 1914 was beginning of World War I. How many of you know that? Uh, Russia was in revolution. It came into revolution, you know. Lenin was trying to bring in communism. The Bolshevik Revolution happened in 1914. Same time that Russia went to war with Germany, you know, from the east side of Germany. And uh, Germany and 
and I think Turkey were on the same side. And uh, Turkey had a grip on this Middle East, but they began to lose it, and Russia began to move in, and then Russia had a Greek Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox religion, which was Christianity. And so you had, a, you had, you had this uh, Christianity, that form of Christianity, and then you had the Muslims all living here in northern Iran together, and they, they worked, they all got along together and everything. But whenever the war broke out, then uh, the, uh, the Turks proclaimed what they called jihad, which is holy war. And it, what it meant was that if, if Muslims killed other religious people out, outside of the Muslim faith, Christianity in this particular case, they killed Christians, they got double points in heaven. And that's what it meant. And so you had certain of those Muslims, especially that group up in the northern part, which is today, today is the northern Turkey and northern Iran as well, called the Kurds. It used to be an old country called Kurdistan. And the Kurds were a very vicious and bloodthirsty type people. I'm going now rather writing to the Andrewersian. This is the way Andrewersian describes them. And these Kurds, they went and they started killing Christians right and left. Well, in the meantime, one of those little towns that they had gotten people saved in, some of the Christians in that town rose up against them and began to fight them. And one girl, teenage girl, they actually assassinated her, killed her. These were the Christians now, assassinated this Pentecostal girl and everything. And Andrew Urshan says, you've got blood on your hand, God's gonna deal with you. And when this massacre began to happen, and the Turks began to rise up and everything. And the Turks told, told it says, okay, we're declaring against all the Christians, we're declaring this jihad, everything. Th this group came in that town there and they just about wiped out everybody in that town that was not Pentecostal. And now listen to me bear closely on this. In one of those places, one of those little towns, there was an American embassy and the American embassy had a lot of land. And they would take the American flag and go down the street and nobody would touch them as long as they was under the American flag. And they took that American flag and they literally ran into these villages and got these people out under the flag and took them back to that American embassy compound. And they'd go to another village and they'd bring these people out. The Turks would not bother them. The Kurds would not bother them. Nobody would like, you know why? Because that American flag was flying and everybody respected America. Folks, that's not the way it is anymore today. But then, then it was that way, they would not touch it until they got 30,000 Christians they brought into that compound there. And so as long as you stay here under the flag, you'll be safe and nobody will kill you. The others were all slaughtered. And uh, Andrew Urshan said, you could see it, they, people were dead in the streets. You could see blood was flowing in the water. Sometimes water in the streets was flowing from rain or from the creeks or something down on the mountain. And you could see blood mixed with the water. It was, a, it was a horrible thing to see. But he said, this was the massacre that went on with the Turks and so forth. And uh, so all of these events begin to take place. Uh, Brother Urshan said, and I, I say all of this because I heard Brother Urshan personally. I've, I've got his book, autobiography. I've read it all the way through. Uh, 
Not only that, but I also heard him give his personal testimony when he was an old man and I was a young guy. Uh, he is the grandfather. Sister Basin is not here. She just had knee surgery. God bless Sister Basin. She just had knee surgery and left needed this week. But anyhow, she's from out in California, but her pastor out there, uh, Jim Larson, is a grandson, is a grandson to Andrew Urshan. And uh, I was in St. Paul, Minnesota when, and when Jim Larson was a baby back in the 50s, early, early 50s. And Urshan came there, Andrew Urshan came there and dedicated his grandbaby to the Lord. And he spoke, you know, and gave his testimony about this. And this is why I know a lot of it. I never forgot all these details. But he talked about how that they took a lot of Christians. They had about 200 Christian people. And they said, we've got to get these people over to this compound. And then we've got to get up into Russia. If you get to Russia, you'd be okay. But he said, we've got to get to this compound. And as they were going, they saw these, uh, he said, I saw these, these Turks over here across this field. And he says, I looked and I saw them and I said, uh-oh, we're in trouble. These people are going to take our lives. And he said, the captain stopped with his, all of his men on horses. They all stopped. And he said, they drew their swords. And he said, I turned to the Christians and I said, everybody kneel down. Everybody kneel down. And he said, I turned my back to them and I faced these people and I knelt down. And we all began to pray. Just pray. That's all. They knew the massacre was coming. And they could hear the horse beat. The horse was coming. Everything. And he says, when it got up close, it all seemed to die and stop. He said, little by little, I lifted my eyes up, and I looked up, and I saw the guy that was the captain on the horse. And he said, I looked at the man, and he said, I don't know what happened to me, but I felt the love of God come all over me for him. And I got up on my knees, I got up on my feet, and I looked at the man, and the man got down off of his horse. And he said, I went over to him, and I hugged him. I hugged him like a brother. And the man had tears in his eyes, and he says, I will take care of you and your group of people, and I will lead you safely to the American compound. Nobody will touch you. No more, no, none of the other Kurds, even though they're my people, none of them will touch you. He gave orders to all of his men, we are to protect these people and get them to that American military compound, which is another village they were going to. Isn't God powerful? Isn't God wonderful how he works? And he did it through simply love. He just put that love of God on him, and that guy felt that. He felt that, like I really, I really like you. You know, I, you know, you, I, I, I have a, I have a real love for you as a brother, and uh, everything. And he let, they let him. Not one of them was killed. Not the first one. They were all led over there in that compound, and they stayed there. In that compound, there that broke out uh, a, a typhoid fever. And many of the people died from typhoid. They were there for a few months. They, many of the people died from typhoid, including Brother Andrew Urshan's own mother. She died of typhoid fever as well because she, they said, if you go into that room and you treat that person with typhoid fever, you will get typhoid fever. And she says, I have to do what I have to do. I'm going to get for the, for the cause of God. And if I get typhoid, I get typhoid, typhoid fever. And so but anyhow, she worked and labored among those people, treating them, helping them, and cooling their fevers, and giving them medication, whatever they had to have, until finally it struck her, and then she, she herself died from it, and everything. And Andrew Urshan said after a while, after a while, whenever uh, he was able, he got the people out, 
and he said, we're going to get us out of here now. And they had to get across that northern Iran area, and they had to get over into Russia, get up into Russia. Once they got into Russia, they knew that it was a Christian nation. You understand when I say Christian, it was still under the Christians. But the Bolshevik Revolution was happening, and there was conflict going on within themselves. And Bolsheviks followed, was followed by communism took over. Bolsheviks took over the czar, and then communism took over Bolsheviks. And all this began to happen. And uh, anyhow, he got it up into Russia. And as he began to travel through Russia, uh, they began to preach the gospel as he went. And people began to get baptized in Jesus' name. And they baptized, I mean, ba they began to preach the gospel, and people started getting the Holy Ghost. And he went to this one place, and he was preaching the Holy Ghost uh, to these these people and uh, they're waiting for a ship to come so they could sail from there to America and there's about 200 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and one day he was reading in the scripture this was now 19 this was in 19 1914 uh, uh, I guess it was anyhow he was reading in the Bible and he read in there he said uh, it happened to know it's 1916 He's reading in the Bible, and he read in there about Jesus and baptism, and he said, is this really for us today? He said, God, if this is for us today, you show me, you speak to me, you let me know. And he said, after that, he said he was going to baptize a bunch of people. And so this guy walked up to him, Professor Andrew Urshan, and he said, uh, I want to get baptized by you, but this is how I want you to baptize me. And when he did, he, asked, he read Acts 2.38 to us. Is what he read to us. He said, this is what I, how I want to get baptized. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And Andrew Urshan says, uh, I'll baptize you tomorrow. And he went, yeah, you know, not today, but tomorrow. He went home that night, and all night long, he studied the Bible. You know, how do you, how do you get baptized? By daybreak, he said, I had figured it all out. Jesus' name baptism was the only baptism, the only baptism in the New Testament church. Matthew 28, 19, you know, where Jesus said, go get all the world baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The name was Jesus. And the name of the Father was Jesus. The name of the Son was the Holy Ghost. Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost was Jesus. So he said, I got it. I got it. And he went back. <laughs> he said, I baptized the guy in Jesus' name. And he said, and then I had the guy turn around and baptize me in Jesus' name because he had not been baptized in Jesus' name. Then he baptized one of the other elders in Jesus' name and everything. And then all the people came back and said, we've been baptized in the titles. We want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, he said, all right. So they started rebaptizing all the people. And so they found out other people that had been saved in their campaigns and they had been baptized and received the Holy Ghost, they went back and rebaptized all those people in Jesus' name because they said that <clears throat> we've got to <clears throat> make it right. And when he finally came back to America, over back over here and, and came back, uh, Andrew Urshan, <clears throat> uh, he was baptized in Jesus' name, and he believed with all his heart that it was one God, and he was a one God preacher when, from the day he died and everything. His son, uh, and Nathaniel Paul, I mean, that's, that's his grandson, N.A. Urshan, Nathaniel Andrew Urshan. His son was N.A. Urshan, who was our general superintendent for 21 years of the United Pentecostal Church. And a brilliant man, 
Brother Matt, who preached here the day of 9-11. 9-11 happened on Monday and then Sunday prior to my 9-11 that happened up in New York and so forth. Uh, and Brother uh, N.A. Urshan preached for us here at the 30th anniversary here at this church. And I tell you that only to say that what they went through, folks, you will never, you cannot imagine what some of these people went through to go back to Persia and to see people get slaughtered because they are Christians. To go back over there and see people actually get killed and to know what it is to have rotten eggs thrown at you and what, and have your, 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 your you put up a tent and they cut the string, cut the string and haul it all off. And all those kind of things, yet God blesses, you know. You and I have seen so very little of that, but some of these people have seen a lot of that. Amen. Praise the Lord. And this uh, N.A. Urshan, I don't know whether, you, I don't know how many, how many of you know, remember Brother Urshan? Okay, some of you, anyway. Uh, he was a great guy. He passed away several years ago. But N.A. Urshan was, uh, uh, went, to, went to school in Chicago. They grew up in Chicago there. And uh, he was a very brilliant guy. He, they, he skipped two grades in school because they, he was advancing and everything. I asked him one time, how was it he got married so young and had all these opportunities? He went, I think, three years of medical school to be a doctor and then got tuberculosis and was dying himself. And his dad came along and said, hey, you're going to have to tell the Lord you're going you're gonna to preach for him. You're not going to be a doctor. You're going to be a preacher. Tell the Lord you'll be a preacher. And you'll serve him and preach the gospel, and he'll heal you. And that was it. And he said, so I started praying, and the Lord healed me. And to this, and he, he, he died, I think, up in, well up in his 80s, Brother N.A. Urshan did. Never died of tuberculosis because God had healed his body. But uh, he was in Chicago there, and he was a young man. And he loved baseball, loved baseball. And the Chicago White Sox was going to hire him. They were going to hire him to uh, be second baseman. Chicago White Sox, and he was still in high school, and uh, said he was a fabulous ball player, and uh, and his dad found out about it, and he said, "You are not going to play baseball. You're going to preach the gospel." <laughs> he said, "No, Daddy, I'm going to play baseball." He said, "No, you're not." And so, you know what his dad did? He packed up the whole family, and moved to New York. He said, "I go to New York. Got a job as a waitress in one of those big hotels out there, restaurants, you know, and so forth." Everything went to work out there, raising his family. And he said, you're not going to play. And in New York is where he went to med school and got tuberculosis. And then that happened. Then his dad said, now you pray. Now it's your time to say, God, I'll preach the gospel. And and Ayersham was a great preacher, great friend of ours. I'm just trying to tell you, folks, God uses his people. And I want to say this in closing here. As you know, we have a funeral here in honor of uh, Leroy Burroughs this this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And from what I understand, there there will not be an evening service, but there will be the funeral service. But this church is filled with guys like Leroy Burroughs and men like these men I'm talking about. You love God. I'm going to tell you what. God's people is the best thing this side of heaven. It is the best thing going here. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. Jesus was the only one that was perfect. But next to Jesus, praise the Lord, give me God's people. Amen. And our brethren, God bless you, brethren. I appreciate you so much. We've got some of the finest men in this church. I mean, they have a heart for the work of God. They have a heart for the cause of God. They have, they have a big hearts. They, 
They love their families. They love their children. They love the work of God. They love missions. Look at, look at how many men in, from this church go over and do missionary work in these foreign countries. You know, what was it? Uh, this last one y'all did over, uh, was it January, February? What was it? 14 of you went over there and built. Uh, no, it was down in, down in uh, Honduras. I mean, down in uh, uh, Brazil. They went down there and built that big church, all that roof stuff, stuff they can't do down there without it being almost astronomically impossible with, because of cost and, and the ability to do it and the equipment and so forth. Our guys know how to do it because American ingenuity is actually absolutely the best. You know that. And our guys can do stuff fast and quick. They know how to do things. They know how to measure. They can put things together. And it's amazing what they can do when you get them all together. And I'm just saying here that I really appreciate this church. I appreciate the men. Folks, the oneness Pentecostal people baptized in Jesus' name, you are very special. You're very special. And I want to just say here this morning, God bless all of you. And I think in our funeral here today, honoring Brother Leroy Burroughs, what a great guy he was. Amen. He was like many of you, and many of you are like him. He gave his heart, and he said, you know, I'm the janitor of this church. I clean this church. I clean it, all the buildings over there, everything. And he said, that's my ministry. That's my ministry. He said, I do that, that everybody else can come to church and worship the Lord and have a clean place to worship. And he was on top of everything. I still miss him. I still miss him greatly. I still miss him sitting down having a cup of coffee and say, Leroy, come sit down, quit working for a little bit, and just and let's talk. And we'll just sit there and chat and talk and drink our coffee together for about 10 minutes, and then we're back to work again. But aren't you glad for the people of God and the people that you're sitting next to, folks? They're the best in the world. Hallelujah. Love God's people. Love God's people with all of your heart. Amen. The Bible says, love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and love God's people. Maybe somewhere's in between there. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together, and let's worship God, and let's thank him here this morning. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. We praise you for your blessings and goodness, God. Be with us today. Lord, bless our morning service. Pour out your spirit. Touch our lives and heart. We love you, Lord. We owe you everything. Everything is due unto you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Remain standing if you will.